0: Welcome to Live Your Own Way with me, Lucy Gleason Interiors, chatting homes, life, and inspiration with my very special guests. My guest today is the wonderful William Hardy, Amazing Spaces presenter and Shed of the Year judge with George Clark. William is founder and main director of Studio Hardy, which is a design and manufacturing studio that fuses art, engineering, architecture and craft. They've worked on some really incredible projects, all diverse, such as playgrounds, interior design, exhibition spaces, architecture, grand tree houses and repurposing vehicles into something extraordinary, using innovative design with a mixture of technology and traditional techniques and also using a plethora of materials. Hello, William. Um, I really appreciate you popping by today. How's your day been? It's been really
1: good. I started the day um, going sledging on the downs. Amazing. <laughs> um, I promised the boys that we'd go out, so um, we dashed up there. There wasn't much snow, but um, we had, a, had it off.
0: Have you been working today? Is your studio close to uh, where you live?
1: Yeah, it's about sort of 25 minutes walk, and um, I've been in the workshop all day, and it's... Um, kind of organized chaos we've got two projects both on the go and at sort of five o'clock tomorrow morning a crane and five arctics arrive uh to pick up one project and then um that makes space for the second project to kind of spread out so it's been a very very busy day sort of prepping for tomorrow but also um getting our heads around the next phase of, of a really interesting project we're working
0: on. Is it generally like that with work? Do you always have new things happening every week? It's yeah, it is. It's sort of
1: it's just a series of challenges. So um, yeah, we work on very, very diverse projects and within each project there's sort of myriad of different problems to solve and ideas to have so it's incredibly varied.
0: Yeah so that aside how how are you getting on with the homeschooling as well because obviously that's a big thing at the moment.
1: (laughs) Um, It's pretty tough at the moment Um, uh, we're sort of homeschooling I've got an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old and then a really busy workshop so luckily we're actually as busy as we've ever been at work, but trying to juggle that. And then most of my team, you know we put family first uh, at Studio Hardy. Um, so that means that everybody's schedule is completely bonkers. You know people need to do different batches of homeschooling or walking the dog or whatever they need to do. and we're sort of then trying to work together as a team but we're we're muddling through.
0: Oh, that's good. And do do the boys ever come in and help you out?
1: Yeah, they do, actually. I mean, the last sort of pocket money job was sorting the samples cupboard, which was quite good, trying to allot different materials and different textures. Um, But we also come in, you know, and actually at lockdown, it's brilliant because they get fed up of being home and going on endless walks so that we can come into the workshop and just sort of beaver away. Um, I think last weekend they made a, a velociraptor pen for some dinosaurs, and a kind of toy X-wing Star Wars fighter. So uh, we get up to all sorts of, um,
0: you know, mischief over the weekend here. Well, oh, that sounds fantastic. So speaking of um, building and learning, where did your journey start? Well, as a kid, I always made
1: things. Um, I, I, you know, started with little um, sort of plastic kit models and then got more and more interested in making the sort of scenery around them. And then at school, I studied, I was very lucky. I managed to study art, design and theatre set building. Um, So always a very sort of hands-on approach. And then um, sort of, I also, from quite a young age, would just get jobs um, either gardening or building things or putting up shelves or, you know, someone would say, oh, I really need a bookcase. And I'd say, I'll make you that and then work out how to do it. And then I moved on to go to art college. So I did a foundation course, which was brilliant, a sort of really varied experience of sculpture and fine art and graphic design and photography and, again, theatre. And that led on to me doing a um, part of a degree. I never finished it um, at Brighton University, which was called Wood, Metal, Ceramics and Plastics, sort of craft-based design and making course. and though I really enjoyed that, at the same time I got very interested in permaculture and ecology and worked with some other people, and sort of was involved in the founding of a, of a charity. And so I actually quit college, uh, quit university to, to sort of pursue that. Um, and then that led me on to, there was a really interesting community project. We were trying to sort of buy land and save it for, for public use and for, for the expansion of, of um, permaculture. And that, what I learned was working with a lot of uh, groups of people, and that led me on to realizing I needed to know more about how to work with people. So I went to California and studied spiritual psychology for a couple of years, <laughs> um, and then that I gradually got back into the craft world. I sort of been using my brain rather a lot, uh, sort of more sort of political and um, psychological pursuits. And um, I became an apprentice to a sculptor, a green woodworking sculptor called Alison Crowther, who taught me how to carve and chainsaw and a lot of those sort of um, how to work with green wood. And from there, I went on and started becoming a timber frame builder, and worked with some brilliant timber framers. So that's, you know, your classic medieval barns. And that was my sort of introduction to engineering and more about timber, more about history and that eventually I got slightly tired of of sort of building medieval buildings and at that point I kind of fused all the diverse parts of my journey from art school and design to all the craft work to even the permaculture in terms of philosophy and the psychology and founded um, Studio Hardy.
0: Right, so all of those things together have been really useful to where you are now.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, when I'm talking to, to kids or, or or lecturing at university, I, I'm a real great believer that whatever you study, whatever you do somehow feeds in and you can't always see how it does. But absolutely everything you ever do um, is a component in your sort of life's work.
0: Yeah. the I'm inter- the, um, interested in the spiritual psychology. I didn't know there was yeah. such a thing.
1: <laughs> it's It's quite a rarity. Yeah. But it's um, a basically a way, of, um, a way of dealing with emotions. You know, as, as human beings, we, we're trying to get on with whatever we're getting on with, and we're constantly sort of bashed around by emotions. We either react to them or, or um, run away from them, and that sort of dictates and, and carves out our lives. So it's a way of sort of becoming aware of that and so becoming free of that. Um, and it is really useful for working with other people, you know, really, really being able to hear what the problem is beneath the symptoms. Um, and, and you know, now working with a big team, uh, that's, that's really useful. And I think as much as the projects and everything we do is interesting, actually you know, just how you work as a team and how you form a company and how you work with your clients and so on um, is, is equally interesting.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's imperative, really, isn't it? So what was your big break then? Um, before you started Studio Hardy, you were still a studio, weren't you? But you were called something different.
1: Yeah, it was called William Hardy Design. And the, the really big break was, um, it was kind of, a you know, from naught to 60 in a couple of seconds. Um, I got invited to design and build the King and Queen of Jordans playground for their new palace in amman wow (laughs) oh yeah that was exactly my response when i got the job so i worked with um a real mentor and sort of patron of mine i suppose um arnie maynard the the garden designer who um i was it gave me an incredible break and and took a huge risk on me you know because i'd done lots of things but nothing of that scale and um the Royal Hashemite Court of Jordan was, was building a new palace for the, for the king and queen. And Arnie was doing the garden design. And the queen had expressed an interest in having some sort of play structures for the children. Uh, and that's why I was brought in. And that was my first sort of um, playground experience. But I sort of fused all of those diff- different parts of my life, you know, from, from um, sort of timber framing and all the craft and timber work through to the design and, and um, all my design and sort of sculptural work. They're very, it was a very sort of sculptural playground.
0: And you've built um, several playgrounds, haven't you? There was a really lovely one that you built in Battle Abbey.
1: That's right, yeah, yeah. So we, um, I mean, playgrounds are sort of the, the, the mainstay of uh, our work. Um, I think playfulness is very much a thread that works through everything at Studio Hardy. But um after after working in Jordan, we developed a really good uh, relationship with English heritage, and um, again that sort of background of timber framing and working on historic buildings um so we, we we've built sort of Baroque and 17th century, we've built art deco playgrounds um all sorts um but I really love that the fact that we we're, we're going to very sensitive historic sites and we need to come up with something that's really appropriate that's to a degree educational and fun um so it's a constant challenge and a constant having to learn about the history and about all the stories and the the narratives that we can um follow in our play and sort of introduce the children to the to the world they're stepping into
0: yeah and again again it brings up you know learning about people doesn't it so yeah so you do diverse projects how would you actually sum up what do you
1: do? That is really tricky. That's a, that's a life work, <laughs> trying to work it out. <laughs> um, I mean, the way I normally describe what we do is 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 through Studio Hardy. So Studio Hardy, and you'll see the link here, was founded on the idea that I don't really believe in boundaries between disciplines. So we wanted to uh, form a house that could look at engineering, sculpture art, design, craft, thinking, philosophy, um, concepts, and do all of those things in one place uh, as one team. So if you look at the world and where it's sort of very much broken up, and if you, you you know, my early experience of working on, say, building sites where architects didn't talk to engineers and engineers didn't talk to builders and nobody talked to craftspeople and, you know, it's really fragmented, and I thought actually there's so much brilliant knowledge. There's so many experts. Um, c- can we develop a practice that really listens and actually collaborates? You know, really deep collaboration, so we all learn and and sort of play together. Um,
0: how did you all find each other? Um,
1: sort of really quite randomly. Actually, how, how people come along. I think I think there's. There's something about the workshop and the work we do that, you know, we do attract kind of outlaws, um, <laughs> um, people that don't quite fit uh, anywhere else. Um, and I, I think, you know, that, that's a, I don't know how everybody would feel about me saying this, but, you know, because we're trying to do things differently, we attract people that maybe don't fit in conventional ways of doing things.
0: I love those kind of people. <laughs>
1: yeah, i mean i've got to say carpenters are naturally outlaws they're always you know they they don't really want to be part of the system they want to do things in their own way and uh, we've sort of created a home for all these um waifs and strays.
0: so how do you coordinate when you're doing various projects how do you coordinate all of you working on different things at different times coordination
1: is really tricky and uh, I suppose another part of Studio Hardy is we, we started not knowing the answer and we're incredibly experimental. So we, we try different systems and different ways of doing things and we kind of play musical chairs with our roles um, in a sort of search that, that somewhere out there is a perfect way of working. And um, through that we, we evolve. Um every project is different. So right now we're trying a completely different experiment, which is you know rather than the sort of design team in co- consultation with the with the workshop team, you know uh, coming to plans and then taking those plans to the workshop to build, what we're doing is so complicated that we've decided let's let's arm all the carpenters with computers. So right now there's sort of three or four com- um, carpenters out there with computers. And the designers also out there—they're sort of simultaneously designing and reading the drawings and making, um, <laughs> which uh, is just—it's project-specific. So I, I suppose that's that's how we work. It's looking at because every project's so different. We need to build a system, sort of start from scratch each time, and go—you know, what what's worked in the past, and how should we approach this specific project, and and should we try
0: something new? And you all obviously specialise in something different.
1: That's right, yeah. So everything from, you know, well, over the years we worked from shipwrights to wheelwrights to um, fabricators to blacksmiths. I mean, our, our speciality is really about uh, timber and timber engineering. So so in the workshop we've got kitchen makers and um Uh, Cabinet makers, as well as uh, specialists like timber framers and so on.
0: And what excites you the most about the process, and which which part of it do you love the most? I mean,
1: the real joy for me is is the conceptual phase, is where you're given um, a brief of some sort. You know, the first stage might be really trying to understand that brief and almost rewrite it for the clients, but just that open blank piece of paper. uh, And the way I work is I i i think about the project and then i i allow myself and the rest of the team to just just go wild just however sort of far we want to travel we allow that to happen so the way i work is i fill you know pages and pages and pages um with drawings and i just sort of let myself go and then um once i've done that enough i then start to rein it in i look at all all the Wonderful ideas and connections and brainstorming we've done, and start to find sort of patterns in that, um, and then ho- hone in and sort of hone them down into a eventually a final design. But it's that—it's that genuinely not knowing what the answer is, and you always get that tiny bit of fear of like, what, what if it suddenly doesn't work? What if for the first time we can't come up with a solution? Um, and there's often a few moments in the process where you are sort of panicked and and it's not quite working but sooner or later that revelation comes and it all just suddenly fits into place
0: well that's what i was going to ask you actually is there ever um a project or a situation where you think i don't know if i'm going to be able to you know find a solution or do you always find one
1: there's always a moment in that sort of process where you have the dark night of the soul (laughs) and you're banging your head against a brick wall and um experience has told me that there is always a solution and it is it is like revelation um where you just suddenly something clicks and you go ah eureka but i have a sort of interesting process which is a mix of of art and science so that the, the science part is breaking it down into processes, sort of, you know, almost what I learned at school, aims, apparatus, method. So you have that as your toolbox. And then the art side is the sort of freedom and the sort of dancing around and exploring random um, side tracks and that sort of thing. And somehow through that, that um, you know, I never sit around waiting for inspiration. I work hard at it. And, and sooner or later it comes. I mean, the, the project that we're all scratching our head on at the moment is is part of a playground and um, it's for a heritage project but we really couldn't find a link with the heritage that really worked um, but I was running lots of community workshops with children where I was training them up to be play designers and tr- training them you know, actually, sort of not dumbing down the process at all. Really taking through the whole concept and design development and materials and the whole works. And I suddenly, I suddenly looked at all the scrumpled paper that they, um, whenever they did a design they didn't like, they'd scrumple up their page and throw it on the floor. And I looked at the structures or, or the, these amazing forms of scrumpled paper and got them to start playing with them and and the final piece we're working on is basically a giant sort of blown up piece of scrumpled paper so that that's an example of a project where you know the day before that moment happened we were really stuck we really couldn't work out what the sort of centerpiece of this playground was going to be.
0: This, that's amazing it's just like a flick of a switch and then yeah. completely changes it around. Yeah, yeah you've done so many cool collaborations I was looking through them all and um I think it might have been one of your earlier ones with a house within a house um, at the Design Museum. Yeah. Did you enjoy that one? I'm sure you must have done.
1: That was great. So that was for John Pawson, who's the sort of you know godfather of minimalism, British minimalism, and he wanted to create a perfect one to one scale one to one scale model of a perfect room, and obviously working with somebody that is you know, st- such a stickler for perfection was quite, quite scary. But what was really cool about that project was we went to the Design Museum and it was actually the second project we'd done with the Design Museum. And uh, the first one was with Hussein Chalyan, the, the fashion designer. And we'd realised that basically every time they, they're very brave Design Museum, they'll put on a proper show. They'll, they'll kind of rebuild the whole of the, of the exhibition floor. Um, but at the end of each exhibition, they'd throw everything in the skip and then start again. And so we were, as well as wanting to build this thing for John Porson and, and try and make it flawless, um, get, which was a real challenge because we only had about five or, or maximum sort of eight days to install this perfect room. We also wanted to sort of have zero waste so we designed a system that could be reused um, for the Design Museum, and years later we returned, and they were still using um, components that we we built in that exhibition.
0: Wow, that's that's brilliant, amazing! And the uh, timber frame farmhouse as well in Scotland. How how did that work? Because obviously it's really far away from where you live.
1: Gosh, yeah, we do like a challenge. So the the timber frame um, farmhouse. Oh gosh, the, I think one of the real the real thing with that project was the logistics of getting it there there's one ferry that has to be booked sort of months in advance and i think we had to you know even the uh we needed a telehandler sort of a you know a mobile forklift and even that had to be put on the boat to take over there um so that was just i mean we really like an adventure basically so um one thing to get things right and to um not spend too long away from our families we 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 like to prefabricate all projects. And obviously some of that comes from the timber frame, um, you know, in that timber frames can be built in a workshop or in a yard and then transported and sort of put together like a giant um, medieval Meccano set. So um, we, we do really like projects that can be built here, got just right, and then, and then a sort of wonderful trip of going somewhere um, far away to put it up.
0: Yeah, speaking of which, as well, I was really interested in the Vivo V wagon because it, it yeah. mentions a mountain cleaning. What what was that all about? Well,
1: Vivo a really interesting company. Sort of, um, they're they're really really passionate. So so what one of one of the things that's a real sort of checkpoint for us is finding people that we really get on with. Um, and we met the Vivo team. They were so passionate about the sort of whole barefoot philosophy but also ecology and sustainability and rather than having lots of shops they wanted a sort of outreach vehicle that could not not be a sort of hard sell of of selling shoes but could go out and sort of spread the message of ecology so whether that was beach cleanups or going up to the mountains and so they needed a, a a mobile wagon that they could take anywhere invite people in um, take to festivals, do sort of yoga workshops, teach, go and um, be a sort of hub for all of these outdoor activities, and that that was that was really lovely. I mean, vehicle-based projects are always a mega challenge because they need to be roadworthy, um, and we you know as you've probably seen, we love complicated mechanics of things opening up in unexpected way, uh, unexpected ways. Um, but it was nice. It was nice. Um, the other thing about Vivo is they they sort of embrace this sort of real futuristic technology with ecology. And there's a sort of craft to their shoemaking, but it's mixed with all these amazing sort of bio and all this sort of biology and stuff. And so we wanted the, the Vivo wagon to be a kind of combination of that. So to use some really raw materials. But then to be quite digital with, you know, all the LED lighting and um, solar paneled um, power and all of that sort of thing.
0: Incredible. Um, I sometimes watch, you know, amazing spaces with the vehicles that you work on. And I do find it. It's incredible. It's kind of over my head, but I find it fascinating at the same time <laughs> how you do it all. Slightly so you, over our maybe, head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: What sort of interior requests do you get from clients to work inside homes? Um all sorts it's normally where people want to do unusual
1: things so there is a strand for work which is you know working with people like arnie maynard and garden designers where where uh, we might creep into interiors and that's normally about just making really beautiful traditionally crafted furniture and then the the other side of our work is where somebody wants to do something unusual so they might want um you know, a living pod. Uh, uh, you know, a, a building within a building, or they might want some sort of furniture that that needs to perform multi functions. So I think, I mean, in a way, the amazing spaces work is the best example of that. Is is trying to come up with experimental and fun ways of living, turning things slightly on their head. Um, and and again, I mean, we we, we love making furniture because it's something I did a lot at college, and and I think because we work on a lot of big things, everybody in the team really loves it when we can just make something small and really purposeful and really get the detail um, just right. But um, we've there's always been a kind of philosophy at Studio Hardy that we we don't want to be instantly recognisable. We'd hope that we kind of bemuse anybody trying to track us so you know just when you think you know what we do we'll produce a piece of furniture that looks entirely different but um over the years you know you can see a kind of flavor certain colors that come back and back certain interesting experiments with geometry that just we can't lose we need to keep playing with i suppose that's the kind of artists in us that that have these themes that we just haven't quite exercised yet
0: yeah is, is there anyone or any particular kind of project on your list that you would love to do so that you still haven't done yet? Oh, that's a good question. Um, wow. I mean, I think I think the, the the
1: honest answer is we thrive on the unknown. What What's so exciting about being a studio hardy is the phone rings and the first thing that the client says is, uh. I'm not quite sure how to explain this. <laughs> and we go, oh, perfect, this sounds right up our street. But it's the kind of, it's the not knowing, literally the phone rings and someone says, uh, we want to build a bridge, but it's not a bridge, it needs to float or something like that. And then you sort of uh, uh, dig deeper. Um, so it's, it, the, the thing that really excites me is the projects, I can't possibly imagine what they are. But um I suppose that, you know, there are some just quintessential carpentry things that you have to build. So you you, you kind of cathedral's probably a little bit ambitious, but um uh, you know, a bridge is a good example. There's such, you know, a bridge is such a beautiful expression of engineering and elegance and um, sculpture and you know uh, pragmatism. It needs to be utterly practical. Um, and I think I think that's probably a project that I'd really love to do.
0: Maybe you'll do one on amazing spaces. That would be good.
1: Yeah. I mean, knowing amazing spaces, you know, George won't be satisfied with just a bridge. It'll have to do something else like like go under, you know, fly or be a submarine or something.
0: (laughs) I love the eccentricity of all the people on the show, actually. Do you think we're probably, obviously you've travelled around, meeting lots of different people and seeing different places. Are we high up on the um building quirky things list. Oh,
1: absolutely. I think there's this wonderful sort of British eccentricity that um, you know, but I think Shed of the Year just <laughs> exemplified that so incredibly that, you know, in you know, our homes can quite often be quite conformist and, you know, there's sort of rules with homes um that people conform to. But once you get into people's back gardens, sort of, you know, the is the limit. And um Yeah, I love it. I love the characters that we meet and that it just proves that, um, you know, people from all walks of life are great craftspeople and great designers. You know, just so many good examples of that.
0: What was your first ever build on Amazing Spaces? Was it the um, caravan? That's
1: right, yeah, George's caravan. So he, um, he turned up, having spent 350 quid, I think, on the most... Appalling static caravan I've ever seen. I, I never forget walking in there and just not knowing if I wanted to laugh or cry because it was kind of completely past its sell-by date and not brilliantly designed in the first place. And then George, of course, had all these you know incredible ideas he wanted to um, come up with. It had to do you know virtually everything: sleep five people and all, all, all of his uh, you know all these different things. But that was a great. Uh, it was a great um, challenge because we di- really didn't like it, you know, sort of uh, being given something that you basically wanted to throw away and not not engage with at all. But then we had to, you know, we had to engage and actually finding sort of making a relationship with the seventies. You know, it's a 70s static caravan, and we sort of made you know for the interior and the sort of interior design. That there is this sort of strange parallel between seventies and fifties, and that was a really good example of taking an era that I wasn't particularly interested in, and then finding a language, a sort of um, you know sets of colours and forms and shapes and aesthetic that w- that we actually came to really love.
0: I love the fact that the whole front opened up as well, so you had you could be in sitting almost sitting in a field.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, if you wanted to find some sort of themes that run through studio hardy's work one is playfulness which the caravan had bags of it you know lots of tricks and sort of slightly fun and unexpected things um and then the other thing that we do with every single one of our projects is is try and blur the boundary between inside and outside you know living in britain you need to be outside as much as you possibly can but you need to very quickly be able to close the door and sort of batten down the hatches so if you look at any one of our projects, you realise that that they they try and open out to the outside, but they um, also need to create sort of cosy, safe um, spaces.
0: Yeah, I think your trip to Finland was one of my favourite episodes um, when you, <laughs> you um, obviously uh, had a sauna and then you plunged into the lake <laughs> and you, looked, you seemed euphoric afterwards. And it did make me kind of think, oh, I want to try that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, again, it was like some sort of... George just made me jump into lots of cold things. So there was the Finland's lake with you know a a metre of frozen ice above that lake. Um, And the other one was in the Arctic Circle. I think I jumped in the sea above the Arctic Circle. And you do, you kind of get this... There is definitely a before and after moment. And... I think I think it is, you know, the Finns do that kind of daily. And I think it's it's actually really, really good for you that you kind of have this, you know, it is a kind of evangelical experience of you're one person and then you jump in some very, very cold water and you go a little bit loopy for sort of half an hour and and then you feel a bit different. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did you get to see the Northern Lights while you were there?
1: I never have. George got to see them. We've we've been chasing the Northern Lights in Canada, Norway, and Finland. And finally, on I think on the last day of Finland, George was up 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 in the north and managed to see them. But that's yeah, that's very much on the bucket list. I still haven't quite made it.
0: Yeah, I want to do that too. And the amazing episode when you went under the glacier in Canada—that was just incredible.
1: That that was mind blowing. Um, just looking through ice that had potentially been there before humans—it was kind of really, you know, mind blowing. And then we found a cave. So I mean, that that whole trip was just incredible. You you arrive on a helicopter and sort of, you know, if you've ever seen a helicopter land in the snow, it's pretty dramatic. And then you cl- you know clamber through meters of snow and find an entrance. And then go deep into the ice, and that the, the quality of light that the you know that the sun is making its way through you know up to you know I can't remember twenty or or, or thirty meters of ice, and the stillness there, and then the the, the sort of the, to top it all off, we found because um, we were with a guide that you know has been up there regularly for years. And um, because the ice shifts, you know, it's it's moving, it's alive. The ice had shifted that that winter or the summer, so that you we could crawl through a gap and get into a cave with a lake that potentially, well, no, no human in living memory or recorded history had ever been in, and just to be standing in a place that no human had stood in before, um pretty good for a sort of, you know, playful architectural programme. <laughs> we do get treated.
0: Yeah, not bad at all. And talking to <laughs> underground, you also went to that sort of underground city with the Olympic pool in, was it Helsinki?
1: Yeah, again, I mean, the, the, the these are, I mean, the educational journey for me of, of filming on amazing spaces is amazing. So, again, I'm afraid I can't, uh, you know, remember all the facts, but something like 200 kilometres of underground tunnels that can basically um, housed the entirety of Helsinki. So a, a city below a city. Um, but yeah, beautiful. I love that swimming pool. It was sort of, again, a sort of slightly 70s, um, slightly Eastern block design, but almost Memphis design, actually, with sort of wonderful bright colors and um, lots of angles. That was a really cool space.
0: That's incredible. Do you get to choose where you'll be going in the series or is it the production team that decide? There's a little bit of both. I
1: mean, what's lovely is when we start a project, we, you know, that they, they you know, we work together for so many years that um, they also know that George and I have a huge address books of, of places we want to go. And so quite often we'll suggest, um, and there might be a little bit of cheating there, like, you know, we're we're kind of justifying it in terms of the programme, but there's... You know some iconic piece of architecture that we've always wanted to visit that we can kind of justify that it fits in with the narrative so um I mean that is a real treat getting to you know meet some of your heroes and and not only just sort of incredibly talented people but um over the years we've got to see some incredible pieces of architecture that that have been you know on our on our dream list,
0: yeah, what's the most ingenious? Bill, do you think? Could you possibly pick one out of all of them?
1: What, that we've gone and visited?
0: You've visited, yeah.
1: Oh, I'm drawing a blank. There's sort of just this barrage of hundreds of things that we've seen. I'm not surprised. Yeah, <laughs> just just too many things. <laughs> I'll, I'll kick myself. After after this um, interview, I will be, oh, my gosh, they'll all come flooding back.
0: <laughs> it will come to you, yeah, no doubt. Um, so you've obviously built a whole load of things on the show, um, obviously, like the observatory, which was um, not so long ago. How long did that take to make? Well, it was slightly
1: interrupted by um, COVID. Uh, <laughs> but um, the actual work, I mean, there's a lot of prep. So I spend a lot of, you know, it, almost impossible to quantify how much time, but um, a lot of design time, which is often spent late at night puzzling and coming up with ideas and then, you know, running them past George. Um so that can take a few months. But the, the actual build of that was probably only about two months. Um and it was, yeah, like I said, slightly interrupted by COVID. But we um it's kind of that with Amazing Spaces we can be slightly playful and we'll come up with a design, but we'll also sort of solve problems on the hoof, which is why some of those really wacky things come up. And why it doesn't always quite make sense and we do things in a slightly roundabout way. But so we like to um sort of, you know, think thinking of the door of the observatory where we came up with one plan and then halfway through ended up talking to somebody about bikes and realizing that we could use bike parts, so sort of changed the whole design and built it another way. So um all in I think I think that was about about two months. And that that's quite regular for Amazing Spaces it's sort of really was
0: it the same for the rotating home as well
1: probably yeah it's a kind of really high octane uh biggish team just throwing yourself at it a lot of um late nights and early starts just um and a sort of always a sort of looming deadline
0: it's very inspiring the show because it's very easy for all of us just to sort of be on a journey and not sort of think about other possibilities but you watch it and it's so positive and inspiring do you get told that a lot we do i mean i
1: i love the fact that it inspires children particularly and sort of you know teenagers because you know we live in a digital age and the worry is that you know craft and and design or, or making isn't really taught in schools at the moment um There is obviously some provision, but the kind of education I got at school has really, really changed. And I love the fact that they get really, you know, they bully their parents to stay up late or later and watch Amazing Spaces. And then they bully their parents to say, come on, I want to do a project. So the amount of people, you know, that stop me in the street and (laughs) one person goes, we find it so inspiring. And the other person goes. You're to blame for my wife or my husband wanting to build a, you know, Death Star in our back garden or whatever they're doing. So um, I'm really pleased that it's sort of championing um, people getting back into making and and proving that you can just do it. You only need a small amount of space and potentially a small budget and you can, you, you know, you can build the unimaginable.
0: It's probably been really good for people's minds as well in the last year or so, hasn't it? Given some people ideas for planning and, and doing things together as a family.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things like the rotating homes, a good example. You know, I, I'm not sure I'd ever recommend to the world that we build thousands and thousands of rotating homes. But as a journey of thought and thinking in different ways and showing that, that you know, actually... Uh, what might seem initially whimsical or bonkers ideas actually have a logic and and when you explore them they can they can sort of make all sorts of new discoveries and i i think that that's one of the things that i really love about the show that we're, we're, we're showing people to think laterally and that there's not one way of doing things. There's not a right and wrong in design or, or making. There's hundreds of different ways of doing things.
0: I love the uh, the gimbal in the rotating home that you put all the mugs and cups on.
1: Yeah. I'll uh, that, that, tell you a very, well, I'll try and make it a quick story, is that came from, I was about nine years old and I was in the south of France and we were having a big lunch with a, a, a friend of a sculptor and to entertain the kids after lunch, he got a cardboard box and he put a glass of wine, a full glass of wine into the box. And then he handed it, he closed the box, cardboard box, and then he handed it round all the kids and said, throw it around, you know, rotate it, do whatever you want. We all played with it and handed it back to him. And he opened the box and pulled out a glass of wine that was still full. And we were, you know, our jaws dropped so my minds had been completely blown you know this sort of magic magic and then he opened the box and let let us look inside and there was a gimbal and I think that um yeah that was the inspiration I've always wanted to build one ever since that moment and sort of playing the same game with George of like here's a box here's a bit of magic so it's, it's nice how um you know experiences from childhood kind of get it you know fed into uh into our daily work
0: yeah, I was really proud of myself at that point because I knew what a gimbal was. <laughs> <laughs> Often I don't, but uh, I was like, "Oh, I know," because I, I have a camera, you know, a, a gimbal. Oh yeah, with yeah, camera as well. So no, fa- I loved that episode. It was fantastic. So shed of the year as well. Is that going to be coming back this year? Or? I I don't know. I'm not sure when
1: that will. I mean, there's a real sort of cult following following of that uh, project. I think people really love it, and um, I know I know. Um, channel 4 like it so we just have to wait and see i mean everything's a little bit chaotic at the moment so um i hope so it's such a it's such an inspiring and sort of feel good program um and so unexpected i mean i've got to say for actual filming all of all of the presenters just love it and the camera crew in fact the whole crew love it because you turn up we film in a day sometimes two a day and you just don't know what you're going to get
0: it's, it's it's a brilliant program I, I've got my fingers crossed that it does come back this year because I love it my whole family really enjoy it um is it really hard to pick a winner because they're all so different aren't they
1: oh it is absolute agony I hate it <laughs> I've done a few programs where I've got to be a judge and it is just it's so hard um luckily we've got um you know a a team of judges and we all quite like disagreeing even deliberately so that kind of makes it more complicated but we always sort of we we end up finding a winner but not everybody's happy
0: has it inspired you ever at home have you got a a crazy shed in your garden i don't at the moment i have lots of
1: sort of half-baked projects um so i've i years ago bought an aluminium uh it's part of a freight container for a for a railway carriage so i've got that and i've decked that out with um some beautiful parquet floor that i was given for my 30th ba- birthday for my 30th birthday a friend turned up with 40 bags of used parquet it's a great present um and that's then I, <laughs> present. yeah so that that's a sort of mid-century modern um interior and i've got a 33 foot Old mahogany holds pleasure cruiser, river cruiser boat that is, um, I would say, treading water. And the kids really want me to crane that into the garden. And that, so, but basically at the moment, I don't have a project in the garden, but we're having the, the uh, we're going to build some sort of play structure. And at the moment, we're in the sort of early feasibility design stage and everybody's arguing about it. So, what, I, what I'm trying to uh, teach the kids is that. Let's come up with something that has to be beautiful, has to be really fun, but is not too prescriptive. Because obviously the eight-year-old wants it to be all about dinosaurs and my 10-year-old uh, wants it to be about Star Wars. And I quite want it to be some sort of crazy Baroque structure. So... Um, I'm not quite sure what's happening, but it's it's a work in progress. I, mean, I, I am quite tempted because they're they're both quite in Star Wars at the moment to build a kind of timber frame, at At Walker, um, you know, one of those wonderful kind of brilliant structures that you get in Star Wars, but but make it in sort of you know, really beautifully crafted timber.
0: Oh, that's that would be the dream, <laughs> wouldn't it? What about inside? What about inside your house? So is is it very traditional, or does it have some of um your designs and ideas around? There's a sort
1: of bit of everything. I mean there's that there's an English version of this phrase and I can't remember what it is, but the Spanish version translates as in the, you know, in the ironwork in the metal worker's house you eat with wooden spoons. So the first thing I'd say is that almost every bit of furniture is broken <laughs> in some way and on the to-do list for the weekend. Um, but no, I, I, what well, my wife's a designer as well, so it's kind of the only thing we argue about in the world <laughs> is sort of how the house should be. So I, I tend to look more at objects and live through individual pieces, and then she tends to work more in the atmosphere and what the sort of collection of of different things in a room, um, how they come to to an ambience. But um, we're sort of, we're relatively uh, new to the house. So we're working through the, the first, one thing we've done is rather than having a sitting room, we've created a huge studio. Um, so separate from the work studio, it's a kind of big creative space where we can make a mess and we can paint or do ceramics or um, draw or cut things or make things. And so I've designed a huge piece of furniture that that sort of has lots of little desks for anybody to work in. You have your own kind of like little cubicle desk and then a huge set of bookshelves and sort of lots of cupboards for printers and um, endless reams of paper. So so, um, the way we're designing the house is basically um, items of furniture piece by piece, you know, living in the house for a while, getting a feel for what works. And then I really love uh antiques and sort of really varied, um, you know, our kitchen has a walnut kind of slightly baroque sideboard with a, you know, 1950s Milan coffee machine on it, and then next to it is a piece of a couple of pieces of fifties furniture, and the, you know, around the kitchen table is some, you know, nineteenth century classic Welsh um stick chairs. So it's a kind of um pretty eclectic but there's there's some sort of plan there
0: (laughs) i like the word eclectic i'd say our house is a bit like that too so what are your plans for this year in the studio have you got anything exciting coming up in the next few months
1: yeah we've got a lot of projects um i mean the most as i've said before the most exciting ones are the unknown there's a couple that i can't really talk about at this stage unfortunately but a couple of really tantalizing interesting you know. Impossible combinations of collaborations that are uh, uh, um, limbering up. And then we've got a lot of heritage playground projects. We've, we've got a project up in Belsay in Northumberland, which is the most amazing um, garden with a big house and a ruined castle. And there, um, the theme on, on, on the sort of emblem and for the family, the Middleton family that lived up there, is the wild man of the woods. So we developed a um, a playground based on sort of the wild man's, wild man of the woods, uh, sort of world. So the kids will step into this woodland and into a sort of magical picturesque, um, version of, of the, of the savage in the woods. Uh, and what one of the parts is a sort of seven or eight meter tall pods that you'll climb up all this netting to get up to these lookout pods that are kind of, Look a bit like kind of um, nutshells that that sit really high up in the canopies of the trees. So that's really exciting. And then we're doing a playground right now in the in the Canons in Mitcham in, in South London, which is a playground that's essentially designed in collaboration with the children of the area. So that's really exciting. We've taken you know that this big piece of scrumpled paper sculptural climbing frame. And then all the towers, um, we've kind of literally taken have how the children have drawn things. So all the towers are slightly wobbly and wonky, um, which is a real challenge to make in timber, but but will look look really spectacular.
0: Oh, it's so nice to hear that the kids are involved in that as well. Will you be on your Instagram when you've done it? So you can-
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got to say the kids were just brilliant. The way that they... Um, Engage with the design process and uh, how how laterally they can think, but also how pragmatic. I mean, they're really, really budding designers, um, and uh, and it would be real, uh, you know. I, I mean, just what a sense of pride of actually having designed something that is
0: for your community and that you can play in and generations can play, and it's very cool. Absolutely, and from such a young age. Well, thank you so much for chatting to me today. I've really enjoyed it, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Thanks very much. Really nice to chat. If you'd like to visit William's website, it can be found at studiohardy.com and they have an Instagram at Studio Hardy. There are some brilliant shots of the observatory on there and loads of cool projects. My website with my interior design services and inspiration is lucylovesya.com and my Instagram is Lucy Gleason Interiors. Do come over and say hi. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. I feel super lucky to have more great guests coming up. And do also rate this podcast too if you're enjoying my chats. Until next week, have a good one.